Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us as we continue looking through the Psalms in the series, Bay Hill Shuffle. As we've been examining the Psalms, we've found some amazing life lessons. Today, in a message titled, God's Promises, Lead Pastor David Fossil guides us through the most popular psalm of all, Psalm 23. We're reminded that, though we may be able to recite this psalm, we're hard-pressed to declare the implications of what we're saying. Listen as Pastor Dave gives us ideas that help us see this psalm in a new light, as we find that God's promises give us direction and help us to live differently. So uh, this week I googled most popular songs in the last 50 years, I think I put in, something like that, based upon sales, based upon popularity, based upon times that it's been played on the radio, top songs in the last 50 years, okay? So I'm going so to share with you the top three. I don't have time to go through 10. Here's the third most popular song of all times. You'll recognize it. Hey, Jude, huh? don't make it oh, oh, wow. Some of you are really excited. First service started singing. Took out their lighters and everything. It was really exciting. So, uh, Hey, Jude by the Beatles. Number three, you gotta have a Beatles song, right? In the top, the top ten, right? This is number three, okay? Now, the second most popular, uh, tune, it, interestingly enough, it's, it's not, he's not really known as a singer. He's known by an, uh, by his instrument. Watch, listen. You'll know it right away. Uh, Santana's smooth, right? Right away, you know who this is, right? Okay. Pretty cool. So this is number two. Hey, Jude, number three. Santana Smooth, number two. And the number one tune of all time, last 50 years, here it is right here. Huh? Oh, some of you are dancing in church. I grew up Baptist. We're not allowed to dance in church. So uh, hold on here. I sure hope Chubby is his nickname. I hope that wasn't intentional by her, his mother. But uh, these are the top three tunes last 50 years. Uh, let's do the twist by Chubby Checker, Santana Smooth, and Hey Jude by the Beatles. Now, you may have other favorite songs, right? I looked at a couple different websites. They, they had a couple different songs in here. You, you can't completely agree on what the most popular ones or what your most favorite ones are. Now, the reason I shared this with you is because we're in this series called Shuffle. We're looking at songs in the Bible, specifically songs in the book of Psalms, right? Now, what I want to mention to you, though, is that the most popular song of all time in the Psalms is that sucker right there. You know that, right? In fact, even if you don't go to church, right? Even people who don't go to church, they probably can quote Psalm 23. You can probably quote most of Psalm 23, right? We read it at, at funerals. People, people that aren't even Christian know Psalm 23. Now, here's the good thing. The fact that you can quote it, the fact that uh, many of you know this by heart is a good thing because memorizing scripture, uh, it's good for your mind, it's good for your soul. Uh, but there's one problem with something as popular as Psalm 23. I actually considered not doing it. I mean, let's do a psalm that none of us kind of know. But, but I decided to include it in this series because we know this so well. By memory, we actually think we have a clear understanding on what Psalm 3 is actually telling us. 
And what I'd like to suggest to you this morning is that you may know it and be able to recite it, but you probably don't know all the implications of what it's really speaking of. So my job this morning is to kind of rattle your brain a little bit and get you to think of Psalm 23 differently. So I'm going to start out, instead of reading it like you and I kind of learned it from the old King James translation, I'm going to go way on the other direction. And I'm going to start by reading it from the message and right away it's going to you're going to, it's going to rock your world it's going to, you're going to start looking at it differently psalm 23 from the message it starts out and it says this god is my shepherd i don't need a thing you have bedded me down in lush meadows you find me quiet pools to drink from true to your word you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction even when the way goes through death valley I'm not afraid when you walk at my side. Your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. So even right away, just reading it, I don't ever suggest studying from the message. It's a transliteration, which means someone has translated it and then tried to add interpretation to it. But it is very interesting, especially the Psalms, to read from something like the message. Now, before we jump into what you and I normally know it as and and look at some key principles, I want to just look at this first phrase. Uh, uh, God is my shepherd. I I don't need a thing. Or we we grew up saying, I I shall not be in want. Now, time out real quick. It's it's just us, right? It's just us. Uh, I can think of a couple things I need. I can think of a couple things I want. I mean, some of us want a nicer house. Some of us want a nicer car. Some of us want hair. Some of us want not as much weight. Some of us want the 49ers to do better next year. I don't. I enjoy this season. Some of us, uh, some of us want to get married. If you're not married, you're like, I want to get married. If you're married, some of you're like, some of us want kids. Some others of us want different kids. Some of us want our kids to move on. So here's my point. Time out right away. Time out. Uh, I can think of a couple things I need. I can think of a couple things I want. So what's going on here? The big idea and the big picture as David begins to teach about the shepherd, about God, is, is, is listen, check this out. Th- this is not talking about financial wealth. This is not talking about eternal beauty. He's saying if you will allow God to be the leader of your life right here, you'll be completely satisfied right here. You'll be completely content. It's not talking about material things. It's talking about your, your soul. Now, so if you grab your study guide, here's what I want to do. We're going to look at God's promises to you. What he absolutely guarantees you. Now, as we're going through, I want you to be processing which of these do you especially need or think differently? Which one of these do I lack right now? There's five or six that I'm going to go over with you, and hopefully we we add some new meaning to a psalm or a song that we're very, very familiar with. Here's the first thing that our shepherd God will give us. He wants to give us rest. He wants to give us rest. We've heard this over and over again, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Now, you have to be careful 
when you're doing Bible study, especially when you're looking at Hebrew poetry, you have to be very careful to determine what are the key words in the verse. If you look at verse 2 and assume that what is in red and underline is the thrust of verse 2, it'll take you in a completely different direction. If you think verse 2 is about God the shepherd taking you to green pastures, and waters, you're going to go, oh yeah, that's right. My shepherd, my God, he nourishes me and feeds me. Now, certainly God does do that for us. But what is in red is not the thrust of verse two. It's actually what's in white. It's what it in white. He, he, yes, he takes you to waters and pastures, but the purpose of verse two is to try and teach that God wants to help you have rest and lie down and be quiet. Can I ask you a question? Some of you need rest. Some of you, some of you wish life slowed down just a little bit. Some of you feel like taking a nap. I see every once in a while you doze during the message. I have no problem with that. I would prefer you to come here and sleep than stay at home. So just go at it, right? How many of you right here, it's loud. You feel like the needles, the RPMs are right in the red zone. Boy, I... I could use a little quiet. I could use some quiet. And that's what he wants to do for you. You know, especially in the Bay Area, we, we live in a very fast pace, um, hurried, long to-do list, never-ending kind of a lifestyle. And he says, I, 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 God said, he's not changing what you're going to go and face when you leave those doors. He says, but I can change what's happening right here. I can do that for you. Uh, it's interesting because when, even when you study and look at sheep today, especially when they're kind of out in the middle of nowhere, not like in, in farms as we have them contained today, when, when they have it in the Middle East and they're just kind of wandering around with the sheep, one thing we still know about sheep today is they do not like loud water or rushing water. So they can be incredibly thirsty, come to a stream with rushing water. It's loud. It's kind of a brook making sound and they will not drink from it because they're afraid of it. And they're afraid of it. It's because it's self, self-protection. They know that if they go in, fall over, if it's just before shearing season, they got a lot of wool, that wool can get heavy and literally they won't be able to get back up and they'll drown. So a sheep can go right up to the edge of water, rushing water and wait until the shepherd dams it up, slows it up, quiets it down, and then they can be refreshed. You see, one of the things you need to understand is that God created you with a rhythm. And the rhythm is work, 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 rest. Work, 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 rest. Work, 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 rest. God wants you to have your rest. It's like this one lady who called, uh, talked to her pastor on Sunday morning. He said, Pastor, I called you over and over and over again on Friday and couldn't get a hold of you. And he said, oh, that's easy. She's, the reason for that is because Friday is my day off. She goes, well, the devil doesn't take a day off. And the pastor said, you are right. And if I didn't take a day off, I would be just like the devil. (laughs) You know why some of you are so grumpy and unbearable? Honestly, you're not in rhythm. You are working so much, so hard, so long. You don't realize what you're doing to your soul. And you don't realize what you're doing to the people sitting next to you or in your house or at your workplace. You are on edge because your rhythm is is off. It's off. In fact, this is such a big deal to God. He made rest one of his top 10 commandments. 
You shall honor the Sabbath day. What does that mean? He wants us to be in rhythm. Here's the rhythm. Five days you work for your employer. That's Monday through Friday. One day, that Saturday, you kind of work for your family or yourself and you're running chores and you're doing laundry and you're running kids to baseball games and soccer games. You know how Saturdays are, right? And then that other day, whether it's the first day of the week or last day, however you want to say it, Sunday, he said it's meant to be a Sabbath day. You are to focus on resting your body and resting your soul. We, we call that Sunday. Now, if you work on Sunday, like I do, some of us do, you got to figure out another Sabbath day. This is a big deal to God. Now, I'm going to just mention one more thing to you, and I'm going to put it up on the screen. Let's put it up there. I want you to notice he would prefer to lead you to rest. He would prefer to replace stress with his peace and go here. What I need you to do is come over here and, and then we're going to do this work, 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 work and rest. And then, and then you do this and you do that. And I want you to go to church. and I want you to balance this all out. He's going to lead you in that direction. But watch, if you don't do that, he's going to he's going to make you lie down. With everything that implies, he will make you lie down. Sometimes we call that the flu. I kid you not. He will make you slow down. Did you think about it this way? So God creates the world. And then he says, it says he looked around and said, this is good. And then he rested. Can I ask you a question? Why did he rest? Was he tired? Well, no, he's omnipotent, so he can't be tired. Was all the work done? Be careful how you answer that. Could he have created more planets? Sure. Could he have he created a hundred different kinds of butterflies? More. Sure. He could have created more animals, more planets, more stars. It's not that the to-do list was done. God rests because there is something inherently good in resting. There's something that happens to your soul that is good and it is healthy. And if you are here, and I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, because you want to imitate God, one of the best ways that some of you could imitate God is imitate him even when he rests. Even when he rests. Honestly, some of you desperately, one of the most godly things you could do is go home and take a nap. I mean, some of you look awful, really. I mean, you look, just go home and nap, right? Rest, okay? The second thing that he wants to give you is healing. He wants to give you healing. We, we learned it. He restores my soul. The new, the new NIV uses, he refreshes my soul. I'm not going to ask by a, a show of hands, but um, I'm wondering if anyone else showed up here today with a broken heart. You're hurting right here. Something just happened this last month, and it hurts you. Something's been going on for the last year, and it hurts you. And your shepherd, your God, says, I want to prepare the, the cracks in your broken heart. I want to mend you. I want to repair you. I want to give you some TLC. Now, I've been a pastor for 25 years, and, and I, there's a lot of things that hurt us, that break our heart, that create cracks. But there are three that seem to be the big ones. There are these three right here. Let's put them up on the screen. Guilt, grief, and grudges. Psalm 38, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I heard about the, uh, uh, a letter that arrived at the IRS, and the letter was anonymous, and it said this. Last year, I intentionally misrepresented my income and intentionally didn't pay the amount of taxes that I knew I owed. And since then, I've been riddled with guilt and haven't been able to sleep. So 
Enclosed, please find a check for $5,000. P.S. If I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest. Some of you are here and you can't move forward. And you know why you can't move forward is because you keep looking backward. And because you keep looking backwards because in your past you screwed up. Big time. And for some reason you can't let it go. You, you can't forgive yourself. You haven't, you're not going to even be able to fix what you did in the past. And that's, you're, you're still living with the consequences of your mistake. And what I'm here to remind you of is that Your shepherd, your heavenly father can repair that crack. No, you can't change what you did. No, you can't even change all the consequences, but he can mend your heart. He can mend it. It, it, Psalm 31 verse 9. Have have, have you ever felt this? And I know some of you have, and I know I'm going to a place where not many of you want to go back, but my eyes are weak from so much crying. My whole being is tired from grief. Some of us are here today and our heart is cracked because recently we lost someone we loved. And we know it's part of life and we know that people don't live forever, but it still hurts, doesn't it? It hurts, you know. But by the way, you don't bury your grief. Jesus says in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who grieve for then I'll be able to comfort them. I'll comfort them. You want to process through your grief. You want to move through your grief. You do not want to bury your grief. You know, grief from loss is one thing, but there's all kinds of loss that hurt us, right? Maybe not as big as losing a loved one, but the loss, you know, it's interesting. I've talked to some people, the loss of working, they retire and their life changes so much and they're just a little discombobulated. I'm not sure what to do. The loss of a friendship, the loss of a marriage, Right. Your kids move away. The loss of of having kids in the home. The the loss of a pet. I make fun of people with cats, but here's the reality. Lose a dog, lose a cat, lose a, a pet. It hurts. I don't care what loss you're experiencing. Some of us are here and you got some cracks right here. And I'm here to remind you that your shepherd wants to repair them, fix them up. Job 18, verse four. You are only hurting yourself with your anger. And I put in in my word in parentheses grudges. Some of us are here today and someone did something to us that was wrong. It was mean. It was uncalled for. And it still stings us. Moreover, we've started to feed into that. And we imagine conversations about what we're going to say or what we could say if we ever ran into them again. We've chosen not to forgive or we haven't processed what God means when he tells us to forgive. And I'm here to remind you that Job says your grudges, your anger, you're just hurting yourself. You're poisoning the well of your own soul. If you've got cracks in your heart, your shepherd not only wants to uh, give you some rest, he wants to give you some healing. He wants to fix and mend those those cracks. The third thing we got to keep moving. He gives wise direction. We, we, we learned that he guides me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I like this translation a little bit better because we don't get caught up in the word righteousness. And sometimes we don't understand what that means. He guides me along right paths. There's a lot of paths in life, aren't there? 
You, you, you get done with high school. Should I go to college? Should I not go to college? Should I go to this college? Should I go to that college? So I have this major or that major. Then you're done with college. Should I take this job, that job, this career, that career? Uh, should I marry him? Should I marry her? Should, should we have kids? Should we have one kid? Should we have three kids? What part of the country should we live in? Should we live in a condo? Should we live in a house? Should we buy a house? Should we rent a house? And it just goes on and on and on and on. And I've got all these questions and I've got all these issues and I've got all these decisions and I'm trying to make the right decision, but I'm not quite sure what to do. And the promise is, you know what? Don't sweat it. He, he can give you some wise direction. Sometimes it's not even moral decisions, but you still want to know, should I buy this car or that car? Should I spend this much or that much? He just gives you wise direction. Should I go this path or should I go that path? Right? He gives you wisdom to know what to do. Now, the primary way he does that is through this book right here. And I I mention it every once in a while. You're here this morning. I'm hoping to give you some wise direction from God this morning. But I also want to remind you that if you aren't reading and or studying this book on a consistent basis throughout the week, that may be one of the reasons that you're lacking direction from God and wisdom. I just want to encourage you. Start to pick this book up and start to learn how to read and study it for yourself. Don't be overly dependent on the pastor for that. You've got to learn how to do that. Now, one thing, you know, depending on who's here, well, if I'm honest, Dave, I kind of find this a little restricting. I kind of find like it hems me in and I kind of find it takes my freedom and my fun away. Here's how I want you to think about this book. Think about it like, like a train thinks about train tracks. Train tracks. The train doesn't think to himself or herself, I, 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 I wish I didn't have to stay on the tracks. I wish I could travel through the, through the, that, that field over there. No, the train understands that the engineer has put the tracks there. Why? To help them make progress in life. And if the train chooses to go off course, it's not going to go very far. You know, God, yes, there are some restrictions in there. Yes, there is some don't go there. Don't go there. Stay right here. But it's not to take your fun or freedom away. It's to try and help you make progress in life. And if some of you are stuck, maybe it's because you are off track and you're treading through the field and you need to get back on the tracks. He wants to give you wise direction for your benefit, for your benefit. Now, one little quick thing. Yes, he he wants to give you satisfaction, fulfillment and success in life with this book. But be careful, that's not the priority of this book. Did, did you see how this verse ends? He guides me along right past for whose sake? His namesake. This book, its primary concern is not your comfort. It's God's glory. And once you finally understand that, and once you finally begin to process that, and once you begin to live that, honestly... Life becomes a little bit easier because even all the challenges you have, the problems you have, the unanswered questions and why not this and why not that, you finally understand the purpose even of my life is not so God can make me comfortable. The purpose of our lives is that ultimately, even through each and every one of us, God gets glory. That's the primary purpose. He wants to give you wise direction. The second, the next thing is he wants to give you courage and comfort. I'm going to lump these together because verse four seems to speak of these. Now, when we, when we memorized Psalm 23, we talked about even though he, we walked through the valley 
of the shadow of death. I've heard that there's actually a, 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 a valley in Israel called the valley of death. And the reason they call it is because the, the, it's such a narrow valley and it's such steep cliffs on either side that the sun only hits the bottom of the canyon when the sun is right above it, right above it at 12 noon. All, all the rest of the day, there's shadows there. Now, I don't know if that's true or not true, but I do like how the new NIV has tweaked this just a little bit. Watch. Even though I walked through the through the darkest valley. I like that it, that it changed it up and I think make it a little more accurate to the Hebrew because the, the valley of death is a big valley. But there are other valleys that some of us are in right now that are dark as well. Some, some of us here are in a financial valley. And our, our finances are all jacked up and we don't know what to do and we got rent issues and we can't cover... You're in a financial valley. Some of us are in a relational or a family valley. There are issues going on at home. There are issues going on in our marriage, and it's not fun, and we feel that. We are in a valley. Some of you are in a physical valley right now. Either you or someone you love just got diagnosed or just has a major physical issue, and it's hard. It's hard. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, and we all go through them, if you're in a valley, it doesn't automatically mean you've messed up and God's trying to get you, get you back. It doesn't mean that at all. It means you live in an in a imperfect world. Could mean just that. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, watch. I will fear no evil for you are with me. The first thing he wants to do is give you courage. Do you guys, if you have kids, even if you don't, maybe you watch the, the movie Monsters, Inc., Pretty fun movie, right? But you remember the original one. If you haven't watched the movie, Monsters, Inc. is a story about these big monsters that go into the closets of little kids. And at night, they scare them. And they get these kids to scream. And then they take the scream. And that becomes the power that fuels their world. Okay? That's the concept of the movie. I know a lot of people that are living in a Monsters, Inc. world. Their lives are controlled by fear and by anxiety and by worry. And I'm here to remind you that your shepherd doesn't want you to live that way. Uh, I will fear no evil. I don't have to be controlled by anxiety. Now, but I know the issues that you have in, in your life are stressful. But you don't have to allow fear, anxiety, and worry to control you. Why? Because the shepherd's with you. He's with you. He goes with you everywhere you go. And then he says... Not only can I give you courage, I want to give you comfort. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Again, this is part of the problem. We grew up in a Western culture. Very few of us have even seen sheep out on the wild. I would imagine none of us have probably worked as a shepherd. But as a shepherd in those days, you knew the different pieces of instruments and such that shepherds would hold and have with them. One was a slingshot. Of course, David, who writes Psalm 23, becomes famous for his ability with a slingshot because he, he knocks out the, the Goliath giant, right? But what they would use it for when they were uh, being a shepherd is there's a mountain lion over there, and I got my sheep over here, so I'm going to scare that mountain lion or hit that mountain lion so he doesn't keep being attracted to my sheep. That's the slingshot. The problem is the shepherd didn't always see the mountain lion or the bear or whatever, the coyote that was coming. And every once in a while, there was literally hand-to-hand combat. The hand-to-hand, you can't pull out your slingshot. 
the first thing they would do is grab their rod. Think of a rod like a, like a small baseball bat. And you're going to club that coyote. It's a small baseball bat that he would have right on his side. And that was used for hand-to-hand combat. And the idea, the shepherd says, you know what? When your enemy attacks you, your shepherd's pulling out the rod. He's going to smack someone upside the head. Okay? The, now, the staff was a little different. I'm going to, I'm going to, here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'll put this back or else Savannah will. But it's like a walking stick, you know? He's walking, but it's got a little, it's got a little crook on it, right? And so every once in a while, sheep, have you ever seen sheep? They have little spiny little legs, right? They'd fall down. They have trouble getting back up. So it's got a little crook on it. Samin, you're going to be my sheep. And so he would hook it around the neck. Okay, go ahead. Come on. Come on. Let's go. Come on, baby. Come here. Come on. Get up. Let me help you up. Let me help you up. There you go. Don't you feel comforted? See? That's what, that's what this was for. You know, you want to know one of the best things that I think is going to happen when we get to heaven? We're going to ask for the DVD of our life, not from our perspective, but from God's perspective. And we're going to pop that sucker in and we're going to see all the times that he took care of us and we didn't even realize he, he was doing that for us. We just look and focus on all the stuff that we're going through right now. How about all the other stuff that he's taken taken out of our plates in advance. He wants to give you courage. I know life is stressful right now. I got it. It's difficult. I want to give you courage. I want to comfort you. You need to know when people come at you, when challenges come at you, I got my rod, I got my staff. I'm going to fight some of the battles for you. You don't have to do it on your own. Okay. Now, uh, the next one is protection. Protection. Verse five. Protection, verse 5. We say this, uh, the new, the new um, uh, NIV. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Now, you don't have to watch the Discovery Channel to kind of imagine, well, what are the enemies of a sheep? It's coyotes and it's mountain lions. And depending on what part of Israel you're in, there could be bears. You know, kind of big animals with sharp teeth that want to eat the sheep, right? But every single day, normal part of day, there were much smaller enemies that a sheep would have that were just just as as harmful or dangerous. Two enemies, flies and vipers. Flies and vipers. Let me tell you what a fly would do. A fly in that part of the world, they would fly around, they would land on the wet membrane of the sheep, kind of like a dog has a wet nose. They would land right there and they would lay their eggs. Then when the eggs would hatch, that larvae would go up the nostrils and go up the navel passage into their head and literally drive those poor sheep crazy. And of course, because they don't have thumbs and they can't scratch, it's, it's crazy. It hurts. It's not fun. There's one guy here that thinks that's funny right there. Goodman thinks that's hilarious, right? Okay. The second enemy is vipers. Maybe I could use a different word. It's not, I don't mean a snake by that. Think about a mean gopher. Okay, or a groundhog. And, and, and just like what we have in our lawns, they, you know, they have these little holes they dig up, right? And what would happen is as the sheep would go and they would start grazing, they were right by a little hole. These vipers, these little mean groundhogs would jump up and bite the sheep in the face, except they had very sharp teeth and, and poisonous bite. And sometimes the poisonous bite would get infected and it would get inflamed and some sheep were known to die because of that bite. Flies and vipers. You want to know what the solution for both of those enemies are? 
It's in the verse. It's the last word. Oil. You want to know what a shepherd still today in Palestine and Israel does to combat these flies and everything? He will take oil, mix it with a little bit of tar, rub it on the snout of the sheep. Within four to six hours, problem gone. Problem gone. The the next one is even more interesting. You want to know what they do with vipers, these crazy groundhogs? You want to know what they do? When you're going into a new field and the sheep are going in, you will walk around, you'll find every little viper hole and put a little bit of oil in. You'll find every little viper hole put a little bit of oil in. Find every little viper hole, put a little bit of oil in. So what happens is the sheep starts to graze, starts to eat. That viper is at the bottom of the hole, looking up, wants to jump up and bite the sheep. But because the hole is now so slick, he can't get any traction. So the sheep will literally eat and not be attacked. Now look at the verse and see how it adds meaning. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I am right in the presence of someone who wants to hurt me, but they can't because you've gone on ahead of me and prevented them. Again, how many things are we going to become aware of when we get to heaven? Oh my goodness, you stopped that from happening. You stopped that from happening. There were all these issues that were going to pop up and bite me. And God's going to say, yeah, I took care of them in advance for you. I took care of them. I want to give you protection. I want to help you deal with hurtful people. The last one is that God wants to give you grace. He guarantees that you will be blessed in life, not only in the afterlife, but in the current life. Surely, uh, surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now that's, that's the benefit That's the blessing you get on the other side of life. You get to live with God in his house forever. Just before he left, he told his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Think about it. He created the world in seven days, but he's been gone for 2,000 years working on heaven. Can you imagine what that looks like? Okay, you get to spend eternity in his house. That's what you get in eternity. But you still get a blessing here on earth. Watch. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me. Now, I, I, I need some help right here. I need you to come up. Come on, Lucas. James, let's go. Come on. Yeah, get up here. You were taking a little nap. I saw you. Let's go. Come on up here. Come on. Let's go. Come up on stage. By the way, we have this new thing we instituted at Bay Hills. If you uh, get used as a prop, uh, you get a percentage of the offering. It's only... It, <laughs> It's only 0.001%, so you should get a check for like uh, 20 cents sometime this week. Okay, let me introduce to you these two guys, but, but they have new names. This, this is the, the goodness of God, okay? Don't look so mean. Just smile, man. You're the goodness of God. And this is the love of God. The goodness of God, okay? The love of God. We knew it as mercy in the old... Okay, so I need you to be shoulder to shoulder, and I need you to just kind of together walk around the stage. Go ahead, walk around the stage everywhere. Come big steps, come on. Okay, there go the goodness of God and the love of God. Now, what we want in life is we want that goodness. We want that love. Keep walking, keep walking. So we chase, I want some goodness. I want some love. God, can I, can I have some goodness? Go around a little more. I want some goodness. I want some love. Stop, okay? The problem... That's not what the verse says. You don't have to chase after the goodness of God and the love of God. Watch what it says. The goodness and the love of God will follow me. Turn around. Everywhere I go. So everywhere I go, the goodness of God follows me. 
I can't get away from the goodness of God. I can't get away from the love of God. No matter what you do, even if you misbehave, you can't get away from the goodness of God. You can't get away. You better follow me. You better follow me. You can't get away from the goodness of God. No matter what you do. Oh, here we go. Goodness of God. Come on, follow me. Move it. Move it. No matter what you do. Oh, all these guys aren't getting any money. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Here we go. Come on, move it, you guys. There we go. Let me ask you a question. Do you want that? Do you want that? Let's hear it for our volunteers. Go sit back down, you bum. Did you catch what the message said? Look at what the message says. Let's put the next slide up there. We read it at the beginning. Your beauty and your love chase after me. Let me just take a breather right now. <laughs> My bad. Okay, so here's our summary. Here's our summary real quick. Do you want God's rest? Do you want God's healing? Do you want God's direction? His comfort, his courage, his protection, his grace. I'm assuming you want that. One small problem. You don't get that unless this next thing is true. Let's put it on the screen. I skipped it, but that's the premise. Everything I went over with you were the promises. You don't get none of the promises unless you implement the, prom the, the, the premise. It, again, we've talked about this. We've learned this, but do you know what that means? Let me break every word down for you. Let's talk about it. Let's put the next slide up there. It talks about the Lord. Not a Lord, the Lord, okay? Old Testament, the Lord means God, generic. But New Testament, we're giving a new understanding of what the Lord means. The Lord is Jesus. So let's just be very, very clear. It's talking about Jesus, okay? Jesus is, present tense, is. Let me ask you a question. Can you think of a time in your life when you were on more fire for God than you are today? Can you think of a time in your life where you were more committed to God, more committed to his word, more committed to serving in his kingdom? Or is your relationship with God present tense? Not past tense. Oh, I really used to be on fire for God back in high school. Oh, I used to be really on fire for God before the kids came and then my life went crazy. P present tense. Well, I'll come back to God, you know, when, when I get, you know, when I go through this phase sometime in the future, then I'll get... No, present tense, right now. Jesus is, present tense, my personal pronoun. Personal pronoun is speaking of a personal relationship. It, you know what? It, it's not about whether your parents have faith. It's not about whether your country has faith. It's not about whether your church has faith. It's about whether you have faith. The Lord Jesus is, present tense, my personal relationship, shepherd. Just real quick, if he's the shepherd, what does that make us? Have you ever thought about that? Well, yeah, thank you. You know, I, I kind of, we, different animals have different implications, right? It, our universities, we have a different mascots that we have for animals. And think about the mascots that we use. We've got the Texas Longhorns, Iowa Hawkeyes, Georgia Bulldogs, Michigan Wolverines, Cal Bears, Kentucky Wildcats, Florida Gators, Auburn, Auburn Tigers, NC State Wolfpack. 
and on and on and on. I, I don't know anybody that wants to be sheep. You know why? He, again, you don't have to watch Discovery Channel to know this. There's three things that are true of sheep. One, sheep tend to wander. They don't follow their shepherd. They, they wander. Two, sheep are not very strong, not very fast. How, what do sheep do when they get into a fight with another animal? Go ahead, Goodman. Give me one more. No, they, That's all you got? That's it. And here's the last one. I don't like this last one. Sheep, uh, they tend to wander. They're not very strong or fast. And sheep aren't that smart. Do you think David made a mistake when he was by implication saying, if he's the shepherd, I'm the sheep? I don't think so at all. He said it because that's true of every single one of us. We tend to wander from our shepherd. We're not as strong as we think we are. And we're not as smart as we think we are. The Lord, Jesus, is, present tense, my personal pronoun, shepherd. It, it means that he's your boss. It means that he's your leader. It means that he's your savior. It means he's in charge. I'm just, it's a simple question. Is he? Is he in charge of your finances? Is he in charge of your family? Is he in charge of your sex life? Is he in charge of your career? Is he in charge of your time? Is he in charge? Now, if you're honest, you'll think about all the questions I just asked and pile on a few more and say, yeah, he's, yeah, he's in charge here pretty much 90%. This one is 70%. This one over here, not really at all. I'm in 20%. This one over here, I'm doing really good. If you're honest, there are different areas of your life when you've allowed him to be more in charge. And then there's other areas you're like, nah, I don't think so. Now, it's up to you. doesn't hurt my feelings at all, whatever you do. It's between you and God, by the way. But here's the thing. If you stand here and you say, Pastor, why don't I feel comforted by God? Pastor, why don't I feel protected by God? Pastor, why don't I get direction from God? My question is going to be, because you haven't let him be in charge of every area of your life. It's very, very simple. Is he in charge of every area of your life? And any area that you are keeping to yourself, somewhere, somehow, you're not getting all the benefits that we just talked about. The Lord, Jesus, is present tense right now, my personal pronoun, shepherd. He's in charge. Let's pray. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, Savannah's going to come up and I just want to give you a little time to reflect on that one question. Is he really in charge of every area in your life? And if not, what are you going to do about it? This is you and Jesus, your shepherd. You have 30 seconds to tell him what you learned and what you're going to change. You and God.
Dear Heavenly Father, every single one of us, we've heard Psalm 23 before. But maybe we haven't processed it the way that we have this morning. Understanding its implication, understanding its deep meaning, understanding how you can and want to give us rest and how you want to heal our broken hearts and how you want to give us wisdom and direction, comfort us, encourage us, protect us, and give us your grace. I can't think of anyone that would want that. And yet I know it was helpful for me as I was studying to realize that all those promises are conditioned on the fact of whether or not I'm allowing you to be in charge, whether you really are shepherd in every area of my life. Father, I want that. It's hard sometimes. And just like sheep, I tend to wander. And I tend to think I know more than you sometimes. And I want you to recalibrate my soul and my mind. I want all those things, not just because of the benefits they bring, but because I acknowledge you are smarter than I am, are stronger than I am, are wiser than I am. I want you to be in charge. Change our hearts, Father. Change our minds so that we can release areas we've been keeping to ourselves. Heavenly Father, thank you for being our shepherd. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.